Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted, the Christ Central Festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom transforming the world, and reaching nations making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Well, it's my real joy and privilege to introduce Jeremy to you now. I guess in many ways he doesn't need any introduction because he's known so many of us. But before he comes to speak, I want to tell you that this is a man that has had a profound impact in my life and ministry. I found in Jeremy over the last number of years as I've got to know him, somebody who is a great encourager, who can see what God is doing and encourages you in it. And even when you're not sure of it yourself, keep speaking it out and encouraging you to go for it. And I found that in my own life. I found that in the life of my family, the church I lead, and the other churches that uh, we're serving together. And I know that God is going to bless you as you hear him this evening. So I'd like us to stand and to welcome Jeremy as he comes to speak to us this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's uh, just such a thrill, isn't it, to be here at Devoted. It's great to uh, just be experiencing his presence together. I feel God wants to speak to us tonight about a new move of his Holy Spirit. I feel that God is going to move powerfully tonight, but it's not about a conference. It's not about an event. It's not about what happened at Devoted. It's actually about what's going to propel us into life, into ministry, into normality, but yet a new normal, into families, into neighborhoods, into work, into business, into new church planting, into new nations. God is on us for movement. God is on us to propel us to something new. And I believe there's a powerful flow of God that we're going to get caught up in. And God's going to move tonight. He's going to demonstrate his power in healing. He's going to come upon us. Some of us are going to be physically moved. Some of us are going to be spiritually, emotionally moved. Some of us are going to be moved in our hearts to go to new places. I feel God is going to take us to the ends of the earth. He's also going to take us to the ends of our street. He's also going to take us to the ends of our comfort zone. And there's a whole new sense, I believe, of God doing something very special amongst us. I'm old enough to have lived through many moves of God over the years. And 20 years ago, there was a movement of God that was a propulsion into something new. Many of us caught that. Many of us were propelled to new places in that. But I believe God wants to do something similar, in fact, something new tonight. And I'm going to speak on something that I haven't spoken on for 20 years. In fact, I've kind of resisted it because, to me, it kind of smacked of something that was 20 years old. But I feel God has freshly spoken to me about his presence flowing like a powerful river that's going to take us to the ends of the earth. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Ezekiel and chapter 47. This is going to be a little bit of a dangerous ride, I feel, tonight. The context of this is that God is speaking to his exiles in Babylon. The people of God have been taken out of the land. They've been taken out of their inheritance. They're now in exile in Babylon. And something dreadful happened. In fact, something even worse than that happened. Something even worse than the fact that they were refugees in a new land happened. And that was this that the glory of the Lord, God's presence, God's very habitation, it said in Ezekiel, he saw the glory of the Lord depart from the temple. Nothing could be worse than that. Nothing could be as bad as the fact that God had left the building. 
Nothing could be as bad as that, but God had seemed to abandon them. And they were now in exile in a foreign place, in a strange land. And prophets were raised up to say, actually, this is God's plan and God's purpose, but one day you will be restored. One day God will move again. And prophets like Ezekiel were raised up by God to speak prophetically to the people of God and say, yes, but there is a time coming when from the mountain of the Lord, and this starts in Ezekiel chapter 40, right the way through to Ezekiel 48, if you read it, actually the mountain of the Lord, the, uh, Ezekiel says, I was taken up to this high mountain, it's the mountain of the Lord, it's the, the presence of God, I was taken and I saw a city. It's actually a temple he sees, and from that city, from that temple, flowed a river. And it's God giving hope back to his people. Have you lost hope? Have you sensed, actually, God used to move so powerfully in my life? Actually, I've seen this in the past, but right now I seem to have lost that. Right now I seem to not to be in the flow of his purposes, in the flow of his presence, in the flow of his plan for my life. It's all going to change tonight. God's going to move. And there's prophetic hope. There's prophetic hope coming again. The river is flowing again. And that's what Ezekiel saw. And we get this amazing little picture in Ezekiel 47, which I'm going to read to you right now. Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. It's a call to hope again that one day the river of God's presence is going to flow again from God's temple. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south of the temple, the south, the side of the altar, And then he brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. And the man went eastwards with a measuring line in his hand and he measured off a thousand cupids. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. Isn't this amazing that this is what Jarrett brought prophetically this morning to us as the interpretation of Anne's tongue? He didn't know I'm speaking on this. But you know, he just brought this scripture alive. When he said, ankle deep, that's not enough. Knee deep, that's not enough. Thigh deep, it's not enough. Waters to swim in, let me swim. In that this, we had this this morning, prophetically. And he measured off another thousand cupids and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured another thousand and led me through water that was up to the, my waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that no one could cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? See, open your eyes prophetically. Do you see this? Do you sense? This is not a history lesson. This is the prophetic coming alive. God says, do you see it? Do you perceive it? And he led me to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern river, eastern region, and goes down into the Arabah. And if you've got a little note in your Bible, in my NIV, it says, note B, that is the Jordan Valley. Where it enters the sea. And there's a little sea next to the sea. And what's that? Well, it says it's the Dead Sea. So this is an actual geographic place. The presence of God, the river of God is flowing from the temple through the Jordan Valley into the deadest place on planet Earth. Where it empties into the sea. But the water there becomes fresh. And swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There'll be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Gilliam and there will be places for spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left to salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. 
Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Lord, we bring your word to you. We say your word is as fresh today as it was when Ezekiel saw it. Your word is as living and active today as the day when this was prophesied to an exiled people in Babylon. Your word lives. Your word is true. You will pour out your spirit, Lord. And we ask you to do it today. In Jesus' name. It's interesting, scripture always interprets scripture. If you're ever going to preach from a passage of the Bible, you must always see it in the big context. I so appreciated what Lee brought to us on the very first night as he walked us through the Emmaus Road experience. And he talked about, actually, we must see God's big picture. As Jesus explained everything that was in the law and the prophets to them, he preached about himself to them. And we must see God's big picture. And if you look into God's big big picture, there's a river flowing. It says in the prophets in Joel 3 verse 18, in that day a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley. Joel's prophesying the same thing. Zechariah verse, chapter 14 verse 8, on that day, on this great day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem. In fact, this image of water and rivers flowing from God's hill, from God's city, from God's dwelling place, actually bookends the whole Bible. The whole Bible is full of references to this river flowing. It's there on the very first pages of the Bible. It's there on the very last page of the Bible. At the beginning, in the mountainous region that we know as Eden, the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord dwelt, the place where he manifested his presence with his children, with Adam and Eve as he walked with them and fellowship with them, it said from there flowed a river. We don't notice that very often. Genesis 2, verse 8 to 10. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put man that he had formed... And the Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees are interesting. We'll come back to them later. And a river watered the garden that flowed from Eden. And there it was separated into four. This is not a geography lesson. It's talking about the four corners of the earth. It's talking about God's presence and the flow of God's spirit going from Eden into all the earth. You see, that was the divine purpose of Eden. It was not to be a horticultural spectacle. It was not to be a beautiful garden centre. It was not to be some park that people could marvel at. It was the first footprint of heaven on earth that was supposed to flood the whole earth. And the flow out of Eden represents man taking God's blessing and taking God's rule and taking God's dominion to all the four corners of planet earth. It was God's original intention to flood the earth with his presence. So much so that you get this refrain that comes up like a chorus through the Bible. One day, says the Lord, all the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as waters cover the sea. Now, I come from Hastings on the south coast, and I have never seen a patch of sea that water does not cover it. In fact, that verse first comes into play at the time of greatest defeat. It's what Toppy preached on last night. It comes into play when at Kadesh Barnea, Moses fails to take the people into the promised land. The reports of the spies come back. There was unbelief in the camp. And God says, this generation will not enter the land. But let me tell you this, as truly as I live, and when God says that, you better listen, because he lives and he reigns. As truly as I live, one day, all the earth will be filled. You think this is just about a little bit of land in the Middle East? You think this is just about taking Canaan? Think again. This is about the people of God inheriting the whole of the earth and all of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. 
It flowed from Eden. And then we get to see how it ends. We get to see at the end of the book, we get to see the last page. And in Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2, the very last chapters of the Bible, it says this, the angel, it's ever so interesting, there's another angel, there's an angel in Ezekiel showing him stuff. Here there's another angel showing me the river of the water of life. It flowed from the throne of God and of the Lamb down through the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river there stood tree of life, bearing twelve crops, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Dear friends, this is God's plan. This is God's purpose, to flow from his city, to flow from his temple, to flow from his building, the presence of God into all of life. When were we ever supposed to keep the presence of God in the temple? When were we ever supposed to keep the presence of God locked away? When were we ever supposed to keep the presence of God in a garden, in a tent, in a building? We were never supposed to do that. It was always supposed to flow out from us to the world. That's always been God's purpose and it's God's purpose again today. And I think 20 years ago, Although many wonderful things happened, what actually happened is the presence of God stayed in buildings. The presence of God stayed in meetings. It stayed in conferences. It stayed in wonderful settings, but didn't flow throughout all of life. Now, there were exceptions, and God in his mercy and his grace saved incredibly during that time. Our own story is that during that time, when we were in a town called Eastbourne, We'd seen four people saved in a year. It was our greatest triumph. We'd had the best evangelist that New Frontiers had ever produced with us for two years, Lex Loisides. And he'd seen four people. We'd never seen four people saved. We saw four people saved and added. Then God hit the church with his presence. 1994. Over the next four years... We saw, and I'm going to tell you figures that are verified. I was there, I was counting them. And I'm not just talking about decisions. I'm talking about people who are saved, added, filled with the Holy Spirit, joining the church, in small group, in community, part of the church. Over 100 people saved during that period. Now God's going to do it again. Interestingly enough, when Anne and I moved to Teesside in the north of England at the end of the 90s, it was kind of the back end of something that was happening. And we were still very much carrying that. And over those next four years, from 98, 99, 2000, 1, 2, 3, again, Anne and I stopped counting when we saw 100 people saved into Teesside. And I mean saved. I mean baptised in water. I mean added to the small group. I mean added to the community of the church. That's the river flowing. And God wants to do it again. And God wants to flow through us. But we're just going to pick up some points from this chapter that are so vital for us. The first point is this. Where did it flow from? Well, it flowed from the temple. The temple is God's presence. The temple is God's dwelling. Yes, I know that. But look specifically where it came from. And it says in verse 1, the water came down from the altar. It says in Revelation 22, 1 to 2, it flowed from the throne of the Lamb. You see, this is all about the sacrifice of Jesus. This is all about it flowing from him. People say this, if I receive the Holy Spirit, will I get weird? It kind of depends on your definition of weird. <laughs> if you mean, will I get like Jesus, the answer is undoubtedly Yes. He's kind of weird though. He kind of does unusual things. He kind of doesn't just quietly pray for a man who's blind. He spits in the ground and makes mud pies. And the disciples, you can imagine, you imagine the guy who's blind. And you imagine he's coming to Jesus. He knows he's coming to Jesus. He's going to get his sight. He knows that. It's faith arising. He, He kind of hears this weird noise. Would you, would you, would you heal me, Jesus? Uh, 
what, what's happening? You can imagine the disciples going, you don't want to know. We've never quite seen this one before. He seems to be making mud pies. Jesus, what are you doing? Well, from mud, we were created. From the dust, we were created. Have a new eyeball. It's amazing. Jesus is pretty weird. I mean, pretty weird. Gathers his disciples together once he's risen. And he does something that I think is so weird. He goes to his disciples, the risen Lord Jesus, John chapter 20, and he goes, <laughs> although I suspect he didn't cough. He kind of breathes all over them. It's just weird. I don't like that. People breathing all over me. I like my space. I like, you know, don't breathe over me. Now have a mint or something. You know, don't just, don't do it. He does it. He breathes all over them. As a prophetic act of the ruach, the breath, the spirit coming. Jesus is pretty weird, you know, sometimes. It flows from Jesus. Jesus is the great baptizer with the spirit. Jesus is the great filler with the spirit. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. And I will fill you. I will do it. Jesus is the one. The trouble is we often don't. We come to people and we are lined up and we're going like this. Have you never been in a line like that? Trying to look holy. You're trying to look really spiritual. You're trying to look as hungry as you can. And you go, give me Andy Robinson. Oh no, Roger Byers coming. <laughs> oh, I've received. Because Roger doesn't give the spirit. Andy Robinson doesn't give the spirit. Jesus gives the spirit. It flows from the place of sacrifice. It flows from the cross. It flows from the finished and completed work of the Lord Jesus. When he died, he did not say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. It's done. It's sorted. Everything's paid for. Relationship restored with God. You've come now into the full rights of the sons of God. I'm bringing you into your inheritance that I had for you before the foundation of the world. It's finished. It's done. It's completed. That's where it flows from, friends. That completed sacrifice of Jesus that might bring us into the family of God. So important. It was so interesting what happened when Jesus died. We could do a whole study on this. Darkness, temple curtains ripped, dead, coming alive. And an act of what would appear to be cruelty, but was really just a man doing his job. And that was a Roman soldier checking that Jesus really was dead. You see, they had job incentives in those days. And this was the job incentive. If somehow, miraculously, if for whatever reason, someone, and no one ever did, by the way, but if someone ever could or did survive a crucifixion, then do you know what? The centurion or the soldier that was was responsible at the time will kill you as well. So you better make sure he's dead. And that's why they go to break his legs. They go to break his legs, but actually they see he's already dead to fulfill the prophecy that no bone would be broken. And they thrust a spear into his side and actually therein is medical evidence that Jesus died. The clot and serum spews out from him. But what is it reported? John says blood and water came out. It was not just medical evidence of Jesus' death, although that's very important. It was a prophetic sign that from the finished work of Christ, that from all that Jesus had done and accomplished on the cross, a river is going to flow. Life is going to come again because Jesus came himself as the temple of God. He came embodying the temple of God. John, his best friend, recorded this. He said, Jesus came 
and lived amongst us. It doesn't really work well in English. In the Greek, it's he came and pitched his tent. He tabernacled amongst us. He came and was the very tent of God. He was the very dwelling of God. Under my seat was a picture of a tent and saying, God's going to dwell. Under my seat. Under my Bible. Tonight. There's a picture of a tent saying God's going to dwell. God dwells, you see. He's pitched his tent in Christ and Jesus came as the temple. And Jesus came living it, embodying it, being the very temple. That's what got him killed, you know. That's what got him into trouble. Because he did things that only the temple can do. He said things like this, I forgive your sins. You can't say that, Jesus. Only sacrifices in the temple can do that. He said... The lame and the blind are going to be healed. And he healed the lame and the blind. You think, why specifically lame and blind? Because the lame and the blind were banned from entering the temple. And Jesus is saying prophetically, all may now come. There is no now restriction. The temple curtain is going to be torn in my very body. I am the new temple. And when Jesus died, from the temple was birthed something even more glorious, something even more wonderful. If you want a good book to read, I cannot recommend more highly enough Greg Beale's book on the temple and the mission of God. It's a big, thick book. But if you don't think you're clever enough to read a big, thick book, Mr. Beale has written a summary of it, The God Who Dwells With Us, I think it's called, and it is brilliant, and this is what he says in that book. Jesus is the new temple from which true life in God's presence now proceeds. God manifests his glorious presence in Jesus in a greater way than was ever manifested in any old physical temple. Jesus is the temple of God. And as he's dying, as he's giving his very life, the temple curtain is torn and river, a river starts to come out. Now I want to address us as a family. I want to address us as Christ central. It was deliberate we chose the name. I mean, we had other names to choose from. We asked all our groups, all our church leaders to come up with it. Quite honestly, they sounded like a bunch of youth group names to me. I thought there's only one name. I mean, actually, the story is this. God had spoken to me. Actually, I can tell you, I could take you to where I was in Skiathos on Greece where, actually I couldn't take you, but I wouldn't take you, but you know, I, I could. And I could tell you the very road I was walking down where God says, I want you to build a Christ Central Church in Manchester. And that's where we got the name, Christ Central Manchester. And then when we were looking for a name for the sphere, Terry said, you've got to come up with a name. You've got to have a name. You've got to have something you call this jolly thing. You can't just call it New Frontiers North because actually we're not just in the North. We're actually all over the world and you've got to have a name for it. It's part of New Frontiers, but you've got to have your bit of it. And he said, don't have it geographic. He said, don't just have one value. Scratching your head, saying, what on earth can we call this jolly thing? And I felt God spoke to me. I can tell you where I was, not quite so glamorous, near Wilmslow in Manchester, on the roundabout where God spoke to me. And I asked him, I said, God, what should I call this thing? And he said, I've already told you. I said, what do you mean? I said, I've already given you a name. I said, well, the only name I've got is Christ Centre. He said, that's the name. And I said, Lord, if that's true, you better confirm it to me. A couple of days later, Mark Taylor. Are you in the building? From West Horton, just outside Bolton. He asked to see me. And Mark's usually a jolly. He's like the tigger of the Northwest. He's... <laughs> He's Mr. Bounce in all so many ways. And he lost his bounce that day when he asked to see me. And he was sweating profusely. I thought, Mark, what the heck is wrong with you? What's going I thought he was going to confess something, to be honest. I've kind of, I know that look. I know what's coming. You know, just to let, I'd like to let you, I want to share something. I thought, oh no, here it comes. What are you going to share? He said, I fulfilled God's spoken to me for you. And he said, I, I just don't know how to say this. And God says, you're trying to name this sphere... And he says, I've already given you the name. What are you worrying about? Oh, oh, 
that, he says, does that mean anything? I said, no. I said, yes, it does. It means an awful lot. Thank you so much. And we were able to go with confidence. Now, interestingly enough, at the same time, I'd also given all the names that all sounded like youth groups to our prophetic guys, our prophetic team. I said, would you just pray over these names and see which name leaps out? And they came back. I think Ginny said it the best. There's only one name there that comes out to me. (laughs) And it's Christ Central. And I thought, yeah, that's right. So that it was confirmed by the prophetic. God named us, but we did it deliberately. It's all about Jesus at the center. It's not experience center. It's not weirdo center. It's Christ central Jesus. And this all flows out of who Jesus is. This is from the altar. This is from Jesus. And I just want to say prophetically, please keep your eyes on Jesus, not on us. If you look at me, we'll go wrong. See, I loved what Toppy said about the stick, the rod. I so know those moments when I stand, even as I stood tonight and got a moo, even as I stood tonight, I thought, God, I don't know the way that we should go, but I'm holding this stick out. We don't know, but Jesus does. We're Christ-central. We're led by the Spirit. When I took driving lessons, I don't know if you've ever taken driving lessons. Some of you, doesn't seem that you have, but I... I took driving lessons and I can remember being driven at dusky evenings, you know, because sometimes in the, through the winter I learned to drive and some of the dusky evenings, sort of four or five o'clock, getting my lessons. And I remember the little old man who was teaching me, Mr. Bartlett, and he used to say to me, Jeremy, stop looking at the lights ahead of you because I was staring at the cars coming towards me. And as I stared at them, my car would, he says, stop looking at the lights. To look at the road ahead. Okay, right. Oh, there's another car coming. No, stop looking at the lights because what the gaze of your eye is fixed on, you steer your life into. Now, if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll fix our eyes on men and we will let you down. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we know this flows from the altar, if we know this flows from the place of sacrifice, if we know this flows from Jesus, actually, I believe... We'll get the right spirit, the right direction, and the right course. Secondly, that was the source of the river. The flow of the river. Verse 5, it says, The water was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Waters to swim in. And I think we've got the wrong picture of a river. I think we've got this gentle Yorkshire Dales, gentle flowing of a river. You talk to our friends in Cumbria, (laughs) you find out what happens when rivers flow. All hell seems to break loose. Because it's not this pretty picture. I think we've got this idea, this little river flowing. Oh, a little, I dangle my feet in it. It's a lovely summer's day. I'll just have a beer on the side and we'll just dangle our feet with Jesus. And it's a lovely, we're in the river, we can play in the river. This is a dangerous river. This is a river that flows with power. This is a river that flows with authority. It's interesting what I put in my notes just tonight as I was preparing or just re-preparing and getting myself centered. I felt God speak to me and I wrote it down about the line of the tribe of Judah. And I was kind of reminded, and I was so grateful to Lou, how brilliantly, I mean, she's just a hero of mine, uh, how greatly, how great Lou, I should say heroine, but I don't know how politically correct that is, but I, I'll say hero because it kind of covers everything. But she's just great, how she led us tonight with the lion's roar. And I was just thinking, in fact, I was thinking of Andy Robinson, actually, because he kind of reminds me of Ray Winston. You know, do you know the actor Ray Winston? Do you know that sort of, that sort of guy like that, Ray Winston, like and uh, do you remember the, the great new film series? I love C.S. Lewis. I really love C.S. Lewis's work. And uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the great Narnia Chronicles. And the first film that came out, which I thought was brilliant and magnificent and very stirring. And do you remember the, the it, it's when the kids, Lucy comes to the beavers. Do you remember that? And the, but it's Ray Winstone's voice talking about Lucy. All right, Lucy. He says, all right, Lucy, come in, Lucy. It's, it's, it's Andy. It's Andy Robinson. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> And he says, uh, we've heard Aslan's on the move again. Aslan's on the move again. And uh, she says, she says, well, what's Aslan like? Well, you don't, you, don't, you don't know what, he doesn't know what Aslan's like. Aslan, he says, a mighty lion. He roars and he's powerful. She says, Aslan's a lion? 
She says, but is it safe? He says, safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. He's dangerous. He roars. But he's very good. That's our Father in heaven. That's our Lord Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. He's fast-flowing. He's dangerous. We get caught up in his currents. We don't know where we're going, and that's the problem. But boy, does he know where he's going. He knows where the river's flowing. He knows where he's taking us. And I think our problem is a little bit like Ezekiel. We don't go in quick enough and far enough, and we're a bit tentative, and we kind of like this word control. You know, we kind of think it's a good thing. I mean, in some senses, it is a good thing. You know, I don't want to be driving by somebody who's out of control. I want to be driving with somebody who's in control. But actually, we sometimes think control, and we sometimes, I've heard people say this, but but isn't self-control a fruit of the Spirit? Shouldn't we be self-controlled? You're talking about getting in a river and kind of getting a current taking you, like some cockamouth flow, and taking you somewhere that you don't necessarily know where you're going. Yes, I am. But, but, isn't, but how about self-control? Well, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, but spirit control isn't. <laughs> Hear it? Spirit control isn't. We don't get to set the game plan. We don't get to control him. We don't get to say, I'll have you on my terms, God. When we commit to him, we're all in. He's the boss. He's the Lord. He's sovereign. He can take us where he wants to take us. And we've got to surrender to that. If we start to control and hang on, actually we're never taken to the places that he wants us to take, he wants to take us to. See, those who are the spirit who are the sons of God, and that's male and female sons, it's talking about those who are in Christ, in the Hueos, in the male heir, child, in Christ. Those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a son. I understand my sonship. Then you'll be led by the Spirit. To understand sonship is to be led by the Spirit. And we need to have a new sense of the danger of this. We need to have a new sense of, I loved Jerry Anderson when I grew up. That's not what we need to have a new sense of, but that's, a, that's what I wanted to say. I love Jerry. Do you remember Jerry Anderson, the puppets? You know, Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. And one of my favorite was Stingray. Do you remember Stingray? Andy does. He's old enough. And Stingray, it, 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 it said, anything can happen in the next half an hour. And it was great. Anything could happen in the next half an hour. Listen, we have prayer meetings. We have encounters with God where anything can happen in the next half an hour. Anything. And he can take us and he does. And we must surrender ourselves to that. While they were praying and fasting, the Lord said, separate for me, Paul, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of ministry that I've called them to. Boy, what a dangerous prayer meeting was that. We must have settings where God speaks to us, where we abandon spirit control, we abandon singing, I did it my way, to saying, it's your way, Jesus. Come on, Lord, lead us, guide us, let your spirit lead us. The flow of the river. Thirdly, the life of the river. Just notice this, how full of life it was. The number of fish, large numbers of fish, verse 9 and 10, so many kinds. And when the Bible talks about fish, it's almost always about evangelistic breakthrough. Now you think that's a bit funny, a bit fishy probably. (laughs) I'm just trying to emulate Toppy. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, I thought, I cannot believe he's as funny as that. Seriously, I cannot believe that. Because when I sit in meetings, he's quite an introvert, really. And he'll sit there and just make a few very wise comments. But he came alive. And I thought, I'm the one who does that. He's done much better than me. I thought, stop being so funny, Toppy. Leave the jokes to me. But he also was very theologically correct. I thought, oh, blow his getting me on both things. God bless him. It was magnificent. I, you know, he just sent a text tonight and said how wonderful. He said, it was one, he said this, you are some of the most responsive people he's ever spoken to. And he speaks into pretty impressive places. And he's not giving you flattery. He doesn't do flattery. Fish. When the Bible talks about fish... Quite often it talks about evangelistic breakthrough. Jesus said this to fishermen, 
I will make you fishers of men. And God is promising us in this river, just like we experienced 20 years ago in Eastbourne, 15 uh, years ago in Teesside, God is promising us evangelistic breakthrough. God is promising us that this river will be teeming with life. That in this river will be all kinds of fish. In this river, we're going to have massive evangelistic breakthrough. That actually this season, God, where we've had no breakthrough, where we've had little breakthrough, where we've had deadness, actually life's going to come. You note the geographical flow of this river, it goes to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, for heaven's sake, it's kind of in the title. Dead. Nothing's there. It's just salty. But actually in this prophetic picture, even the deadest place that the prophet knew on planet earth came alive. And God's promising new life. He's promising new life to Darlington, by the way. I just want to say that. That wonderful baby. It's a prophetic picture of what God wants to do. He wants to bring new life to that church. He wants to bring new evangelistic breakthrough to that church. Alan, if you're in the building, God wants to bring new evangelistic authority and breakthrough into that church, into that region. There's something wonderful that's going to happen in terms of breakthrough evangelistically in Darlington. You're on God's agenda. God wants breakthrough. God's called you to be a fisher of men. And this is what God says, even when it's been dead before, now it's going to come alive. Luke chapter 5, Jesus said this to fishermen who knew their business. Fishermen who'd been fishing all night, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered rather gingerly, it says in my version. Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. You know, fisherman, carpenter. Not telling you how to build anything. <laughs> build a boat, great. Leave the nets to us. We kind of know a thing or two. We're not novices, not hobby. We do this for a little, we're professionals. We do this, we know what we're doing. But we haven't caught anything. But, and then faith clicks in. You could do, but, because you say so, because you have the words of everlasting life, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. God is promising us evangelistic breakthrough. Do you know what? Everyone's searching for the promise elixir. Everyone says, if we do it this way, we'll get breakthrough. What's the silver bullet? What's the key? What's the event? The key? If I have another book on the key of evangelistic breakthrough, I'll throw it at you. But this way, that, if there's another, if there is another book... On, Please forgive me, because I know there's a wonderful gentleman in this room who's written a book on small groups, who's a very good friend of mine, and you know who you are. But if I see another book that's a good idea for small groups, I, 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 I mean, I will, because you know, there's it's such new ideas, new ideas, new ideas. Let's get God's idea, shall we? Let's get his idea for growth. Let's get his idea for breakthrough. It's when the spirit flows from Jesus, there's evangelistic breakthrough. There's life comes, there's fruit comes, fish comes. And I believe God is promising us in Christ central churches, life in the spirit is going to produce life in the world. It's going to produce life in the workplace. It's going to produce life in families and neighborhoods. It's going to produce evangelistic life. It's not going to go in on itself. And just pray for me. I mean, I had people coming up to me. Literally, I had people coming up to me in the 94 breakthrough and say, will you pray for me? And I used to say, why? I want to fall over. Well, let me help you with that. (laughs) At that time, there was a guy who came to our church. His name was Dunn. And he wrote this book called Don't Just Stand There, Pray. And I said, I'm going to write one. Don't just stand there, fall over. It's like, it's not about that. It's not about a particular manifestation. Now, please don't think I am dissing manifestations. I love the work of the Spirit. I love God's breakthrough. I won't ever, I won't ever stop what God's doing. That's why even this week we've said, no, let it go. Come on musicians, let's go for it. We want to see more of this, more breakthrough. 
But I'm saying this, our eyes are on Jesus and it's he who's going to produce this fruit. Evangelistic breakthrough is going to come as we embrace the river, as we let the river flow into our dead places. Right, lots of fruit. The life of the river. Lots of fish, lots of fruit. Fruit trees of all kind will grow on both the banks of the river. Their leaves won't wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they'll bear fruit because of the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing of the nations. And I just think God is wanting to promise us that we are just going to be a very fruitful people. And we are going to have lots of fruit in evangelism, but it's also bigger than that. It's, a, it's just fruit in life. God wants you to be a very fruitful person. God wants you to be a blessing wherever you go. God want, wants you to know that you're a river carrier. You're a water carrier. You're carrying this life. You're carrying within you this incredible life of the Spirit. And out from you is going to flow life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, no, sorry. That was another job, yeah. You remember that, won't you? Out from us is supposed to... I do apologise, dear friends. If I've wrecked any cameras or any important thing... Actually, I don't apologise at all. It was rather fun. I just... (laughs) She wants a new iPad. No. (laughs) Listen, what comes out of you in life? Is it more despondency, grief, misery? Or is it life? Does life flow from you? Now, I'm going to share some stories. I've got to be honest with you. I love what Andy said in his Life in the Spirit seminar. He said some of the stories I'm telling you are old and some of them are new. Most of mine are old, but I'm telling you them anyway. Actually, some of them are new. Steve, our next door neighbor, I have to give credit where credit's due. Anne was brilliant with him. Steve was, Steve was such a depressive. In fact, he was clinically depressed, signed off work for six months. He, had, he was ill all over in his character, but then depression hit him, and he was doubly depressed, and he would just moan about everything, and everything was not this. He would moan about the weather, he'd moan about our garden, he'd moan about everything. Still, But Anne was so good with him. She just was so loving with him, and she <coughs> chatted with him and his family, and she invited him to Alpha, and one day in this time, during this outpouring of the Spirit, Steve came to Alpha, and he came to me, and I said, Steve, what would you like? He said, I actually, I want to be free of this depression. And I said, okay, then I'll just pray for you. And all I did was just put my hand on his shoulder and say, thanks for my friend Steve. I want to ask you to let this depression lift. That's all I did. It wasn't stunning. He didn't fall, didn't shake, didn't rattle, didn't roar. Nothing particularly seemed to happen, but I just prayed for him. But some love and some grace and some water flowed. Three days later... I was talking in the garden to a young man about the things that you talk to young men about. Exactly. And suddenly, through my back garden, Steve bursts. And I mean bursts. He came through, and his exact words I cannot repeat from this stage. (laughs) It was expletive, expletive, What the expletive was that? And I thought, I'm not sure how near the kingdom you are at this moment. (laughs) I thought, have you been listening to our conversation? He said, I tell you this. He said, when you prayed for me, my depression lifted like that. He said, I have not believed it for three days. I've waited for it to come back and it has not come back. It never came back. And Steve gave his life to Jesus. That's a surprise. Do you know, we are blessings wherever we go. God has called us to be, I believe, the blessing of the world. Look, I've got notes all over my, my, my notes are running. <laughs> That'll teach me. When Anna and I were in Greece at one time, a couple came up to us, and this is the honest truth. We had just had an argument. Now, I know that you find that hard to believe. But we'd just been kind of debating heavily at the table, <laughs> as you do. And this couple came up and said, do you mind me interrupting you? And I thought, yes, actually. <laughs> she said, I just want to say, I've been watching you too. And I thought, oh, no. And she said this. 
She said, there is just something special about you two. I can see this aura of light around you. What is it about you two? And we shared Jesus with her. In the midst of an argument. I mean, this is normal life, isn't it? But we're water carriers. We're people who carry the Spirit with us in life. That's who we are, dear friends. It's not supposed to be about inviting people to meetings alone. It's supposed to be about normality in life. I was in Mexico this year with my great friend Lee, and uh, Lee was introducing me to a wonderful man, uh, uh, not a Christian at all, but a man who was just a lovely man who'd helped his son and uh, had been a coach to his son. Now, Lee won't tell you this, but his son is now a very famous football player. In fact, actually, he's the goalie for the number one team in Mexico. In fact, he's been voted the best footballer in Mexico. Actually, I was with uh, him. I'm going to boast on your behalf, Lee, so I just enjoy boasting on your behalf. And I was with him. I was with William, and uh, William took a call. And he said, oh, oh, yes, oh, yes, coach. Oh, okay, coach. Oh, thank you, coach. And we said to William, what was that? He said, who was it? That was Jürgen. See, I don't even know these names. That was Jürgen Klinsmann, who Roger was very impressed with, apparently. That was, he used to be a footballer. Jürgen Klinsmann, not Roger. <laughs> he said, that was Jürgen Klinsmann, who's the coach for the United States of America, and I'm in the squad. He's in the squad to this day. He cannot move in Mexico for people wanting his autograph. I was in a meeting prophesying over William. As I was prophesying, kids were coming up to him and tapping him on the shoulder and saying, can I have an autograph? He says, not now, not now. <laughs> anyway, I was talking to his old coach, Armando. And it was just at the, we were just in Starbucks. It was just an ordinary day in Mexico. And I just reached my hand out across the table and said, Armando, I just want to say something to you. You're not far from the kingdom. God loves you. God has loved what you've done. You've invested your life in children. And he's been a brilliant coach, apparently. He loves kids. And I said, God loves those who love kids. He loves those who are less fortunate. He loves those who just pour their life. And he just gripped my hand and gripped my hand and gripped my hand. Tears were in his eyes. He said to Lee afterwards, that was amazing what that guy said. I just spoke some truth. It was just easy. It's just encouragement. It's just letting the the life of the river flow out from you. That guy, I believe that guy will come through. See, when we go shopping, I'm not a great shopper. Generally, I find it quite difficult. I'm on a mission. See, I I love mission. And I want to go into the store I want to go into the store. See, Joseph's on my agenda here. He's, he, knows, he knows what it is. I want to go into the shop. I want to get what I want to get quickly. And I want to get out of there as quick as possible. That's the mission. I mean, you know, that, that's the mission. Come on. That is the mission. And I don't know what it is, ladies, that makes you want to chat to people. I don't know what it is about my wife that when we go into a shop, and I try not to go into shops with her, but when we go into a shop together, she wants to chat to everybody, everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I said, don't, I know, I don't applaud her, it'll encourage her. (laughs) I said to, I said, (laughs) no, I said, don't do that. I said, no, we're quickly, what do we want? Let's go out. And then, then you have the dilemma. My biggest dilemma is this, which queue to join? I mean, do you not have that? We, we, we were in Lidl, and there are other supermarkets are available. We were in Lidl the other day, and I'd, pre, I'd mentioned this in, in Zambia, I think, when I was with Joseph, and I did it again. She said, you've done it again. I said, what do you mean I've done it again? You are calculating in your mind which queue is the quickest. You're ca- I see you're counting things in people's baskets. You're going, yeah, they've got 25 items, but there's five people in the queue there. And you're going, you're doing it again. Will you stop it? I said, I can't help it. So as we get to the cashier that I've carefully selected, and why is it the one I always select goes the slowest? Why is it the one I always select, the woman can't find her change, or the guy can't find... Get the change ready. You know you're going to (laughs) pay. It's not a surprise that it's a transaction. It's a shop, for heaven's sake. When, When they ask you for money, don't go, 25 pounds. Oh, you wanted money, did you? Then they, then they start looking. 
Have it ready. That's just a little tip, I'd say. <laughs> but Anne then starts, not only has she talked to people in the shop, she'll talk to the cashier. I said, don't talk to the cashier. Don't, you know, the names on their badges are only so you can report them later. <laughs> They're not so that you can have a chat. And Anne says, hi, it's Mandy, isn't it? We know it's Mandy, it's on her. It's there, Mandy. She said, it's Mandy, isn't it? And Mandy looks up and Anne says, yeah, you, you were the one who, who had, you were telling me about that operation you were going in for a couple of weeks ago, weren't you? How did it go? I've been praying for you. And suddenly the atmosphere changes. Suddenly I shut up. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly I go, she's right. I'm wrong. Matt, <laughs> Mandy's getting blessed. And Anne's building a relationship. Not saved yet, but I believe we are blessing carriers. We're water carriers. We're life carriers. We, it should flow out of us. Life and grace and blessing should flow out of us. That is what the life of the river, this fruit trees are all about. Lastly, the destination of the river is to the nations, is to the world. At the beginning of this vision, Ezekiel sees this city in Ezekiel chapter 40. He sees the city on a hill and from it flowing this presence of God. In Ezekiel chapter 48, at the end of the vision, it says this, and the name of the city from that time on will be called the Lord is there. His name is Emmanuel. The Lord is present. The Lord is with us. The Lord himself is with us. And it's going, it's flowing out from the city to the nations. It's flowing out from us to other people. The God's presence that one time was limited to the Holy of Holies is now flowing from this city to reach all nations everywhere. Revelation 22 verse 2, we quoted it earlier. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops, 12 fruits every month by the way, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. This is going to the nations, dear friends. This is going to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be weird. You'll have a few odd meetings. You can write a few books. And if you're really lucky, have a television channel. He said when the Spirit comes in power, in dunamis, power. And by the way, the Spirit isn't named after dynamite. Dynamite's named after the Spirit. (laughs) When the Spirit comes on you in dynamite power, in power, you'll be propelled from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Listen, this is an ends of the earth movement. And as I said earlier, the ends of the earth can be the ends of your street. We're so privileged, I believe, in our towns and cities and villages to have people of all nations around us. And actually, even if they are not from different ethnic groups, there are people of all demographics around us. We're so blessed in our cities. We don't have walled quarters in our cities. We don't have, you can go from town to city and quite a wealthy to quite poor to quite challenging quite quickly. Actually, all around us, people of very different demographics, very different nations, you might say, older, younger, different likes, different tastes, different Groups of people, younger people, different hobbies, different, different ethnic groups are all around us. The ends of the earth are with us. They're in our streets. They're in our shopping centers. They're in Lidl and Sainsbury's. They're around us. They're in our schools. They're in our offices. When you hear a word like this about going to the nations, don't just think Peru. Deepest, darkest Peru. I mean, they've never heard of Paddington, by the way. <laughs> Apparently, that's our invention. There's a statue of Paddington Bear in Peru, and all these Peruvians are scratching. Why that was? Oh, it's presented from England. It must be special important. They don't know that he came from deepest, darkest Peru. But it's not necessarily just about going to Africa, going to some. Go, you know, going, it may well be, but it's also about going to the end of your street, and it's also, as I said earlier, about going to the end of your comfort zone. God's presence, listen, this is so important. 
God's presence will propel us into the world. It's not just our good theology. It's not just our mission statement. It's not just the right thing to do. It's not just some guilt trip. It's not just our ideology. It's not just New Frontier's value. It's the presence of God that flows from you to the ends of the earth. That's what we were created for, to be presence carriers, to be those who go from Eden all through the earth. In Revelation, it's true. In Revelation, we find that all the earth is full of the glory of the Lord. God's mission, God's purpose is accomplished. It happens through you. You're a glory carrier to the ends of the earth. Mission must be inspired by the Spirit. Now, all those things, values, mission statements, great theology, these are good things. I'm not dissing those at all. But of itself, a mission statement won't get you to the ends of the earth. Of itself, just a good theological understanding won't get you to the ends of the earth. What gets you to the ends of the earth is the propulsion of the Spirit. I mean, they had a pretty good understanding of theology, actually, in Acts 1. I mean, they were with Jesus for three years, and then they were on his special kingdom course for six weeks. I mean, that must have been pretty interesting. But they didn't have propulsion to go. When the Spirit came, when the presence came, when God came, there was propulsion to go. And God is saying to us as a movement, God is saying to us as a family of churches, he is giving us propulsion to go. He is giving us permission to go. He's giving us his Spirit to go. And we're going to respond, dear friends, right now. We're going to respond. The Spirit of God is going to come on us right now. He's going to come on us in three things. Firstly, there's going to be a new filling of the Spirit. Those of us who haven't been filled for years are going to be filled again. Those of us who've tasted a little, maybe ankle deep, maybe knee deep, maybe waist deep, those of us again are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we're going to be, we're going to be filled, but secondly, we're going to be healed because there's this, this river has fruit trees with healing for the nations. And there's going to be healing tonight. Words of knowledge are going to come and people are going to be healed. People are going to be set free. And thirdly, we're going to be sent to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the street, and to the ends of our comfort zone. We are going to go, dear friends. God is on us. Now, I'm just going to ask us to wait right now. I've asked Andy and the team to help me with this. I'm so grateful that we're working in team. I'm so grateful that we're linking arms with apostles and prophets. I've asked Anne if she'll be available to help me. I know there's some people who've got words of knowledge. But first of all, I wonder if we could just stand in his presence. And I wonder if we could just wait a moment, not rush. Our friend Mike Pilavachi says this. He says, the reason I see more people filled with the Spirit is I've learnt to wait a little longer. And as we wait, even now as we wait, the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill this place. The Spirit of God is going to come. Now just position yourself comfortably. Jesus said, ask. Ask the Father. He will give you the Spirit. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, as we end this evening, flood this place with your presence. Come, Spirit of God, upon us. Now just wait a moment. Just drink him in. You know how to do this. Just receive him. In the same way that you received Christ, by hands of faith, as Luther put it, receive the Holy Spirit. Drink him in. Breathe him in. Come, Holy Spirit. Come upon this hall right now. 
in Jesus' name and for his glory, for the ends of the earth mission, for glorification of the Son who deserves honour and praise and glory. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us anew, we pray. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Just let him come. Let him t- he's going to come very gently at first. Come, Spirit of God. More, Lord. Come. Come. If the band could just come, that would be great. We're going to have some words that are going to come. Some words of knowledge to help us. There's going to be words over individuals. There's going to be words over churches. But let's just wait a moment. We need to still wait. Still wait. We're not going to rush. We're not going anywhere tonight. Come Holy Spirit. Well, come Holy Spirit. More, Lord. More. More, Lord. Do it, Lord. Fill us again. Fill us again. We're thirsty for you, for your glory to be propelled to the nations. We're thirsty for life, for people to be saved and healed and blessed. Come, Lord. Just do you sense him? He's rising. Just do you sense him? He's coming. He's coming. He's been in this place before you. But he's manifesting his presence right now. Come, Lord. More, Lord. More. More. More, Lord. More, Holy Spirit. We say more. We say come, Spirit of the living God. Fall afresh on us.